If you have a financial question for Pegger Bruce, you can call this number 24-7, like during the week, 888-6-ADVICE. You can also email those questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But we urge you to call right now. We're going to be doing kind of an open line show today. Uh, any and all financial questions, 651-461-9226. So don't wait. Call now, 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor Peg Webb, and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Good morning, Denny. Good morning, Bruce. Uh, Hello, Peg Webb. Thank you, Denny Long. Um, Peg, as Denny said, we're going to do an open line show today and let listeners drive the show. But also, as you and I know, we both frequently get uh, texts and emails and, and questions from people on our website or even direct, directly uh, to us uh, sometimes. And I've got a few uh, ready to go uh, today if we, uh, that we might, might get to. Uh, anything you want to lead with? You got uh, anything that your clients are asking you that you want to prioritize and put to the top of the pile today? Well, the only thing um, that we're noticing, and you know, it is summer, and it's summer everywhere, is that people don't necessarily think about their money as much as, um, you know, when the fall comes or the winter or something like that. In many parts of the United States, what's interesting, Bruce, is that Wealth Enhancement Group is um, a very large organization these days, and I thought what I would do is just let people know that we have close to $65 billion that um, we actually are responsible for in helping clients um, manage their money. We also have 390 advisors all the way from, you know, East Coast to West Coast, and we currently have 92 offices. So in my reviews, Bruce, I talk a lot about the growth of our company because, we uh, started in Minnesota, and that is where our headquarters is. We've been doing a lot of acquisitions and acquisitions of very good established uh, advisory um, people around you know, the United States. So what that has done, though, for our clients, and Bruce, I thought I'd just take a minute because I tell people in our reviews all the time, is that that just made our roundtable stronger and larger. And actually, what I've witnessed is the East Coast and the West Coast don't necessarily agree with the Midwest. So when we're talking about wealth and complex and strategies and things that we can do uh, to create a comprehensive plan for people, I am just so grateful that we have so much input now, not just from the Midwest, not that that wasn't great, but to be able to expand our knowledge. And um, so that's also helped us build those uh, roundtable departments, which is our financial planning, our investment management, our estate planning, you know, our tax department, all those things have uh, grown over the years and, and our clients are, when I do the reviews, they're feeling it. So, uh, the reason I bring that up is because it is slower in August and, but we're still working and we aren't taking the summer off. And so when it comes to, um, considering wealth enhancement group, I'll just lead with, 
you know, one something new that we're doing now is this 30-minute either phone call or a quick video with people that would like to have an introduction meeting with one of our advisors. And it's working out so well because in that 30 minutes, because everybody's busy, right? But we, we try to, you know, just go over your current situation, what's happening in your life. You know, we talk about um, what's important to you. So we try in that short period of time to get to know you, but everyone that I've talked to on these 30-minute calls, they've got something that's driving them to to try to ask you know, some experts or some specialists about, well, what should I do about this? Um, and so it's just a conversation. And then some people take us up on the next step, which is, um, you know, going through the roundtable, coming up with some um, uh, options or solutions for what they're looking for. So, Bruce, I just wanted to mention that, yes, it is summer. Yes, we're still all working. We are um, expanding by acquisitions. The companies can grow even bigger, and the roundtable has more depth than it's had. And so how you actually um, take us up on that is you go to wealthenhancement.com, and it just says on there, do you want to meet with somebody? And you can actually literally uh, enter your name, and, uh, and we'll, we'll get a hold of you and set up a time. Bruce? So I'm, I'm so glad you went down this road. And again, this is an open line show. We'll take any and all financial questions. But Peg, you know, I always say we most weeks we have a general outline of things that we want to cover. But you know, thoughts happen um, spontaneously. You think of things, and we never know exactly where we're going to go. The, the outline is just sort of a roadmap. And we can go a lot of different roads. Well, when we do an open line show, we really don't have any definitive outline. So I didn't know you were going to go down this road, but I'm glad you did. Um, and I want to say a couple of things. You know, our growth early on in this program, uh, when De Denny and I actually started doing this in January of 1997, on Thanksgiving or around Thanksgiving, wealth enhancement was small enough that I could publicly thank every member of our company and now you said we have over 390 advisors. I don't know how many total employees. It's got to be over 1,000, though, right? Correct. Um, over 90 offices. I don't know how many states that's in. And what did you say we had for assets under management? Uh, $65 billion. See, and I, I can't even keep track of it because it changes so fast. But, you know, so when we talk about our growth, we're not just here on the – you know, boasting, I think it's important that people know that we're growing and, and we're growing for a reason. So for a lot of years, our growth was organic, meaning we continue to attract new clients, but also we retain our existing clients. Our clients very seldom leave us. In fact, the majority of the time when a client leaves, it's not because they're unhappy, it's because they leave this world, they pass away. So we've always had that kind of growth, but Peg, you mentioned this in recent years, we've actually started to merge and acquire other like-minded financial advisors with, within the industry. And these people that we're getting, these are superstars in the industry. They could go anywhere they want to, and they choose to come to Wealth Enhancement. And there's reasons why that's true. So I think that that is important. It's not just us 
bragging. It's it's relevant that we're doing things right, we're growing, we're recognized within the industry, our clients are happy. And the other thing I want to comment on is that sometimes people don't agree. And I think what is often lost on people that aren't in our industry and maybe on our listeners is that most of the time, this is not an exact science. It's not black and white. It's often gray, and two smart people, two good advisors, can have slightly different opinions on what is the appropriate course of action for a client to take. It's not an exact science. So what we do is we try to present our, our best ideas, our most popular ideas, with a consensus, and then the client chimes in, and they get to do whatever they feel most comfortable doing. But the answers that we give are always going to be right answers. There might be more than one right answer, but they will be right answers, and there's also wrong answers or bad answers, and they're never going to get wrong answers or bad answers from us, but there might be more than one right answer. And then finally, I wanted to say, um, I'm, and I'm glad you, that you made the reference that we're still open and we're still working in the summer, and it's never been easy to engage, easier than it is now to engage us in an introduction. And again, there's no cost, there's no obligation, there's nothing threatening, there's nothing intimidating. You don't even have to do it face-to-face, -face, although I will admit I'm old school and I still like face-to-face -face meetings. But to find out what we can do for somebody, there's, I, I, t I say this all the time in public speaking engagements, there's no downside. There's tremendous upside and no downside. I don't know why you wouldn't take advantage of the opportunity. So I'm so glad you went there. I didn't know that's where you were going to go, but I'm glad you did. Um, how about topics or questions that you're getting, either texts or emails or questions from clients? Again, you want to kind of prioritize and start with what you think uh, listeners might be most interested in, Peg? Well, one that we're getting, uh, and, and it's because Gary Quinzel was on our show on July 30th, and he is um, the director of our investment uh, department, and he talked about, well, by the way, that show, which is um, one of the, the, the busiest uh, on our website in people that missed it going back to see uh, or to listen to is wealthenhancement.com under insights. It says radio show and his uh, replay is there, but I'm still getting a lot of questions about international investing. And why am I getting so many questions? Because when I do the reviews for my clients, I've um, I show them a five year history. Of what parts of the market have done well and what parts have been lagging over the last five years? Now, you might say, why five years? Why not 10? Why not 15? It's just a benchmark to look at uh, and, and have conversations around. So when we look at international, international, I could basically say an average return over international uh, global stocks have been a big fat zero over the last five years. Yeah, maybe it's a little positive, but to me, it's, it's a zero. Whereby the U.S. large company stocks, they have averaged close to 10% uh, per year. So when you think about that, uh, you know, statistically, they've gained 50%, while international has gained zero. Well, what happens, Bruce, is when that happens, and especially when I illustrate that in a report, uh, clients will say, 
why in the world are we even holding any more of that? Why wouldn't we just move all of that to the U.S. Um, and and have it and, and just have that and not worry about it? Well, you know, there's circumstances, and if you look at longer than five years, international had has had its day in the sun, and quite frankly, right now. Because the U.S. dollar, and Gary talked about this a couple of weeks ago, because the U.S. dollar is is weaker now, international actually year to date has had some double digits returns. So it isn't that the U.S. is, well, they still are outperforming, but at least international has got some positive movement. And, you know, we still believe in diversification. So, um, you know, in the portfolios that, that our company manage, they do allow us uh, to decide, you know, how much international and how much U.S. would you like this particular client to be in? Because quite frankly, we still have a lot of clients that come in and say, I want very little international for all sorts of reasons. Uh, and we are able to tailor our portfolios for client um, with percentages that we want to be in international or we want to be in the U.S., and I think Gary, you know, alluded to this because, you know, things that are down don't necessarily always stay down, right? They can be the winners, um, you know, but there's still a lot more volatility in international and um, especially like emerging markets. And you hear mostly about China and the fact that it's, uh, it, it's not growing as fast and that's a big concern. But here's the bottom line. When it comes to your growth side of your portfolio, you know, you, you, that's your long-term money, right? That isn't money that you're going to use in the next year or two or three years. So having a diversified portfolio with both U.S. and international, to me, has always made sense. What percentage that each client has, that is actually tailored, you know, to that particular client. Bruce? Um, I want to just kind of pick up. So you were talking specifically about, you know, why we invest uh, globally and, and, you know, why we diversify that way. Um, I got a text from a, a client slash buddy, um, and it's kind of on the same topic, Peg, but it's uh, about investing. It's not specific about global investing, but he said, explain the advantages and disadvantages of investing in a 12-month CD guaranteeing 5.2% as opposed to investing it with an advisor charging advisory fees. And if I can just paraphrase that a little bit, that is a question that we get a lot. You know, if in 2022, when markets did poorly, I had any number of people say, oh, my gosh, I'd have been better off, you know, just putting it in a checking account in the bank, or I would have been better off, you know, putting it in a safety deposit box or my, my, my home safe. Well, you can always look at any given short-term period of time and say, well, I was stupid investing in the stock market. Why did you do that? But again, you mentioned it in your answer about why we diversify and why we invest globally. Um, there's ups and downs in the market, but over longer periods of time, stocks have always historically given investors their greatest rewards. But what would you say to somebody that came into you right now and said, why should I put money with you guys? If I can get 5% without risk, why wouldn't I put it all there? 
Yeah, uh, definitely getting that question as well from uh, my clients. And one of the things that happens, no matter what the time frame is, no matter if we're talking about the growth side, the stock side, or we're talking about fixed income, we can make all sorts of predictions of when interest rates are going to go up or when interest rates are going to go down. I think we're in a time frame, Bruce, that is um, somewhat unprecedented because, you know, for the last couple decades, fixed income was not where it was at, right? It was just so low. And actually, we didn't even, you know, we didn't even, we weren't even aggressive in getting money in a money market because it was the same as just having cash lay around. I mean, but right now, you know, money markets, you can still find them at 5%. Well, when it comes to fixed income and we, um, you know, have investment committee meetings, you know, that can pivot at any point as well. So meaning that interest rates can go down as fast as they just went up. And quite frankly, historically, now we have to go back a ways, but historically, when the Fed starts lowering interest rates, they actually do that a lot faster than they do raising them. So yes, it's so attractive right now um, to buy some fixed income that we haven't seen for a long time. And quite frankly, we're still in this inverted yield curve. And what I mean by that is the short one-year treasury is a lot higher in yield than the 30-year treasury. That means it's inverted. And when clients are looking at these treasuries or they're getting solicitations for CDs in the banks, um, they're all gravitating to the really short end because that's the highest rate of return that they can get. So I do believe that clients should own fixed income and and we are able to um, purchase both CDs and treasuries for clients. But what's interesting about this is that they all want me to be on that super short end because if it's a 5% and it's a 4.5% for a two-year or three-year treasury, they go, oh, no, 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 no. I want that highest one, that five-year, but the negative of that, that 5%, but the negative of that is that that year's going to go by and then you're going to have to reinvest in lower rates of return. So my advice here um, to my clients is if you're going to buy them, which I highly recommend you do, but if you're going to buy them, then you should ladder them. You should buy a one-year treasury, two-year treasury, three-year treasury, and depending on your circumstance, you should go all the way up to five years because, you know, you'll lock in some of these high rates of today. Bruce? Hey, Denny tells me texts are stacking up. Let's see if we can squeeze one in before we have to go to a break. Denny? As a matter, yes, indeed. As a matter of fact, you can call or text our studio line right now. It's an open line show, 651-461-9226. I urge you to do so. Here's one, uh, Peg and Bruce, 73-year-old says, I'm going to receive $100,000 in a settlement. I do not need to use this at this time. What do you recommend to put it to get the best return? Peg, a little over a minute. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, uh, it's it's hard uh, conceptually because we don't know anything about the 73-year-old. But usually when the circumstance comes up, we split it between growth and fixed income. And the reason we do that is because you may not need this money 
And if you don't need it, it might be that the next generation, you're investing 60% for the next generation. The 40% would be something where maybe you could live off those dividends and maybe you would buy some treasuries or some fixed income uh, and use that uh, for yourself. So once again, if we don't know a lot about you, then we don't have a, a, a direct answer. Bruce? Yeah, I'll just add a little bit to that. Again, and the texter's question is not unfair. We get that kind of question a lot, where should I invest X amount of dollars? But Peg really makes the point that there's so many more things to make sure we're giving our best possible advice. When do you need it? You said you don't need it soon, but you might need it. Is legacy planning a high priority? Do you need a rate of return to keep pace with inflation? Or do you have more money than you're ever going to need anyway? There's a lot of other variables that we would need to know to give you a good answer. But the 10,000-foot divided into several things, I agree with Peg. We'd probably diversify, have some safe, have some a little more aggressive. Denny, um, listeners driving the whole second half of the show, I know we're about due for a break, though. Yes, indeed. And again, we urge you to call or text our studio line right now. It is an open line show, 651-461-9226, taking any and all of your financial questions. Again, call or text our studio line, 651-461-9226. Stay with us. Back with more of your money. If you happen to have a financial question for Peg or Bruce, you can call this uh, number 247-8886 advice, but uh, we have a special line that you can call or text our studio line right now during the show because it's an open line show. But keep in mind, uh, email your questions. You can always do that at yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But you can call or text right now any and all financial questions, 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor Peg Webb, and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Thank you, Danny Long. Thank you, listeners, uh, for staying with us. Or if you joined us late, it is an open line show, so your questions, uh, text or call, we'll take your any and all financial questions uh, this all, the entire second half of the show. Hey, Peg, I wanted to just quickly go back on one thing. Uh, listeners, if you joined us late, we had question pertaining to if you can get 5% today, which you can, on safe money, why, why would you, you know, pay an advisor? Why would you put money into the market? Why would you take risk if you can get uh, a guaranteed 5%? And, the, and we talked about, you know, keeping up with inflation and time horizon and desired rates of return and all those factors. But again, we, it's important, Peg, I think, to mention that the wealth enhancement is a fiduciary. We will always give people our best possible advice. And I wanted to share a quick story. A couple of weeks ago, I had a long-term client come in for a meeting, and he had just sold his home and was moving into a senior assisted living facility, and he had the proceeds from the sale of his home. He brought the check in with him. And he, and he was contemplating investing that with us. And I know there's a lot of cynical people that when they think of uh, people in our space, Peg, people that do what we do for a living, they think that we're going to tell everybody, oh, give that money to us, let us invest it for you. But this particular client, 75 years old, already has a, a certain amount of exposure to stocks. And I, and I just flat out told them, I don't know that you need to take on any more risks. So the advice that we give in terms of where to invest is based on aggregate return that they need to achieve their dreams and goals and to achieve success however they define success. And frankly, 
he's at a point in life where he is his priorities maybe 20 years ago growth was a priority but now preservation is a priority and maybe income from his investments would be secondary if he can get growth he'll you know he would still take it he would still like it but it's not the top priority anymore safety or preservation is so i flat out told him i don't think you should invest any of that money with us in fact in the lobby of my building there's a bank that i know is paying 5% right now in a high-yield money market account because I have one down there. So I literally walked him down and introduced him to my personal banker in our lobby. And I, again, I know the cynics would say, oh, you know, you're going to tell him to invest with you. But I didn't because I didn't think that was the best advice for this particular client. And even before we went down there, he said, well, 5% now is that rate guaranteed for any length of time? I said, no. And I could tell that was disconcerting to him. But I said, but you're not obligated to leave your money there for any period of time either. If they lower the rate, then you, and then if you want, you can go get that money and then bring it upstairs and invest it with me. But at 5% and based on all your circumstances, I think that's the right move for you at this point in time. So that's a real-life example that I wanted to share, and I bet you've got dozens yourself, Peg. Yeah, what I find is that um, because we can offer CDs and we can can offer the U.S. Treasuries um, to clients, but you're right. If it's a, if it if the money should stay absolutely liquid, we would be the first people to tell them, you know, keep that in the bank, uh, do something else with it. Uh, and and I think that's where the confusion lies too, Bruce. Is that uh, yes, we manage a lot of our clients' money. But every single client of mine has money outside of me, meaning they're liquid, liquid, you know, money that they use on a daily basis. And if I see that I could help them, just like you did with um, helping the client get a, a money market that's absolutely liquid, we're going to do that. Um, well, because we've been doing this for decades, we've just seen it on the backside, you know, just helping people. Actually, it's karma. It all comes back. Uh, to you um, in one way or another. Bruce? Uh, well said. Uh, that, that, was, that was wonderful. I'm going to take that with me today, Peg. All right, Denny, uh, uh, let's let listeners text and calls. I, I know we have some text starting to stack up, sir. Yes, indeed. Here's another one. Uh, husband and I are 76, 74. We recently sold some property. We still have a small mortgage at 3.75%. Our financial advisor wants us to invest the sold property money to a CD that would earn 4.6% for three years rather than pay off our mortgage. What are your thoughts? Peg, this is kind of the age-old question of efficient debt versus inefficient debt, and when do we pay off debt versus when do we invest the money? Um, what do you think? Well, I think, you know, because we have that recent tax reform uh, that most of 70 plus percent is uh, using a standard deduction on their tax return. It isn't like the old days where our mortgage was easily deductible as an itemized um, line item. Well, what I mean by that is if you're earning 3.75 or you have a mortgage of 3.75, and you can earn, you know, uh, a higher rate, the 4.6. I think, you know, if you don't mind, I, I probably would tell you to keep the mortgage because I don't know, Bruce, that we'll ever, ever get back there. 
um, that, that was just such a low point in time. And I'm happy for all the people that were able to refinance or purchase new home at those rates. But um, it also has to do with liquidity. So if indeed you paid off your mortgage and now you, you don't have a lot of liquidity, just like when you um, had your house, then I would recommend, you know, you don't necessarily have to pay it all off. If you really truly want to, you could pay off some of it and then just make sure that you keep enough liquid for the what ifs in life first. Yeah, I like where you went. Uh, my brain went a different direction, and, and I thought you were going to go there, Peg. You started to talk about taxes. So my first thought was, obviously, the financial advisor advising the texter is making the argument that, look, you can pay off debt, but if you can get a guaranteed return that's higher than your cost of the, of the debt service, that net difference is gained to you. You're better off earning a higher return than the cost of the debt service. But what wasn't factored in there, and I think whatever the CD was, 4.65, I, I think the texture said, versus you know 3.75 on the mortgage. But what's the net after tax result of that CD? That's gonna be 1099 uh, uh, income probably. And so are they still outpacing the cost of the debt service net after they pay the taxes on that 4.6. So I don't necessarily disagree with the advisor's strategy to not pay down the debt because 3.75, like you said, Peg, is cheap money, but I'm not sure that I would do it all just in a 4.6% CD that my net after tax maybe puts me into a, a push. I think I would want some of the money in growth, but you know, again, there's too many variables that we don't know the answer to. Peg, you want to add to that or go back to Danny? Well, the only thing I, and most, if you're a regular listener of the show, you know I love debt free. And if the math is, if the math is close, I'm going to tell you to pay off the mortgage. You know, I'm just, I've just in my years, debt free people are my most successful clients. Yep. Danny, other texts or calls? Yes, indeed. Again, a reminder, the phone number is also the text line, 651-461-9226. Any and all financial questions this morning. Here's another one. 66-year-old, retired. I have converted all except 30000 to Roth and non-taxable investments. Is it important to convert the last 30000 or should I just spend that first? <laughs> Well, my first thought, Peg, is that, you know, the fact that uh, this texture has converted so much to tax-advantaged money is just awesome. Um, and then, you know, what do I do with the parts that I that I haven't converted yet? Do I convert it? Do I leave it? Do I spend it? I mean, what do you think, Peg? Well, I commend you as we talk on the show about the three different buckets, the taxable, tax-deferred, and the tax-advantaged. You know, it makes sense for some people to take their tax deferred and get it into that tax advantage column. I don't have a single client that has zero tax deferred. So kudos to you for having 30000 left. I think if you have 30000 and I don't know the entire pot number, but I think at this point you could, um, you know, leave that 30000 but it depends on your tax bracket. So with a lot of clients, if they become in, if they're in a lower tax bracket, we're going to encourage them to do some tax um, planning and maybe some conversions to Roth. 
But more so now, Bruce, what I'm recognizing is a lot of people need money, not necessarily in their tax advantage and putting it in a Roth. I actually have been drawing on a piece of paper, don't go right, because right is tax deferred to tax advantage. I'm like, why don't we go left? Why don't we take that tax deferred and put it into taxable in these treasuries and CDs and things and have some liquid money? Because people are so aggressive on trying to keep all their money in either tax advantage or tax deferred. And you know, you need an income. A lot of clients need an income. So I'm planning for that future income. So I've been more so saying go left on the money matrix versus going right. Bruce? I, I, again, I, I just love doing this show with you and, and the way your brain works. I, I didn't know, again, obviously that's what you were going to say. But as you're answering the question, after Denny read the text, I found a question that, that I had received that's kind of on this same issue. Um, the texter writes, I've been a longtime listener of the program. One of the things that puzzles me is your advice around tax diversification. Why do you think it's a good idea to own investments inside taxable accounts? Wouldn't it be better? To, uh, wouldn't I be better off loading up my 401k, which gives me a deduction and gross tax deferred? On your answer, Peg, you kind of were talking about tax diversification. Let's move. If, if we move from left to right on a your money matrix, all investments are treated one of three ways. Fully and immediately taxable, meaning you get a 1099 every year. Tax deferred or delayed, meaning you're delaying the tax, but you're going to pay it someday. Or tax advantaged, meaning maybe you don't have to pay the tax at all. And you said, let's move to the left and have some money in taxable. And this person's question and it's not uncommon. I get this question a lot. People don't want to have any money in taxable events. It's like it's like blasphemy. It's like they're cursing. It's like a sin. I, I don't want any money in taxable investments, yet we coach people all the time that they should have money there. Elaborate a little bit more on why we do that and why you think that's so important and such a good idea. Well, because um, my favorite saying, Bruce, is life is what happens when you're making other plans. So what, what, what I've witnessed in decades of doing this is that life doesn't necessarily go as planned all the time. And so the first taxable bucket, I know people hate the word tax and that you get 1099, but it is your truly liquid money. Like you, you don't owe a whole lot on that money to the IRS. Am I a fan of Roth conversion? Absolutely. But for the right situation, I think, um, especially our clients, they, they, they're so focused on how do I not pay the IRS as much money? Uh, let's minimize, let's just make the most minimum amount that we have to pay. Now, I get it because there's things that get you in your tax return. It's the Medicare tier. It's the tax on Social Security. It's possibly um, in Minnesota, some clients get property tax refunds because they're in such a low tax bracket. Uh, all of those things are what we call a ripple effect. Yes, absolutely. But I, I, I'm a big believer, in, and we start out by talking about that year money matrix in the third, a third, a third, taxable, tax, tax um, deferred, and tax advantage. That's just a basis for a start. But I, I rarely ever would have zero in taxable 
And right now, there's still a lot of clients because they've saved in their 401ks with tax advantage for decades of time. And then tax advantage, there's circumstances where people were in, they retired early, they um, had a lot of taxable money that they could live on, and were able to do conversions for the long term. So it's all about the makeup that you have um, and, and what you would recommend. Bruce? Yeah, I'm just going to add a little bit to that before I throw it back to Danny. When, Peg, when I talk to people about this, or and I do public speaking events, I always talk about the fact, again, that investments can, from a tax standpoint, can only be treated one of three ways. You pay the tax right away, you delay the tax, or maybe you can avoid the tax. All things being equal, avoiding the tax altogether is better than just delaying it, but delaying it, all things being equal, is better than paying taxes right away. The problem is all things are not equal. So what do you get? on taxable accounts that you don't get on tax-deferred, like traditional IRAs, traditional 401ks, or tax-advantaged, like Roth IRAs? Well, number one, liquidity. For these IRAs and Roth IRAs, you're generally restricted from getting at your, your, your money or your gains without not only taxes, but a 10% penalty. Well, there's something to be said when you're 35, 40, 45 years old, or even 50, of having some money liquid that's there and you need it, that you can get at it without penalty, without some sort of detrimental impact. But also, taxable money can oftentimes be treated more favorably from a tax standpoint, meaning that when I take money out of a tax-deferred account, I'm going to pay at ordinary income tax rates. But I might be able to get what's called long-term capital gains rates on taxable accounts. And oftentimes, for many people, that percentage is much lower. Capital gains rate is much lower than ordinary income tax. I might, I might have 15% on capital gains, but I might be in a 24% tax bracket for ordinary income. So I might be able to pay at a lower rate, but the big one, I think, uh, under current tax law, on taxable accounts, you can still get what's called a step-up in basis. So if I bought a stock for a dollar a share, and now it's trading at $101 a share, if I sell that stock, I've got to pay the taxes on that $100 a share gain. There's embedded gains in that portfolio. There's an embedded tax consequence when I sell it. But if I never need that money, and I leave that to my kids, and they inherit at a, at a basis or a share price, of $101 a share, their basis steps up. Their basis is not the same as mine at a dollar. Their basis is $101. So if they sell that stock for $101, they pay no taxes on that gain. You can't get that on tax-deferred accounts or tax-advantaged accounts. So the very idea that we shouldn't have any taxable money is just silly. It's just crazy. There's a lot of good things about taxable accounts, and this is why we want our clients to have money in all three of these categories, and then it gives them much, much, much more flexibility when they retire to determine which money they should spend first. Sometimes they should spend tax advantage, but sometimes they should spend tax deferred. Sometimes they should pull out of their taxable accounts, and it may change from year to year. So 
having that kind of flexibility is a huge advantage at retirement, and we coach them and help them with, with how to spend their money, spending the smartest money first. We call it retirement income planning. But th this is a huge issue that I think a lot of people don't understand, and we probably need to talk about it more. Do you want to add anything else, or should we throw it back to Danny? No, throw it to Danny. That was excellent, Bruce. Thanks. We have time. Do we have time for one more? I I think we do uh, for the last couple of minutes here. Uh, a listener wants to know of any positives or negatives to I-bonds. Peg, I-bonds. Yeah, yeah. I think the Treasury Inflation Protection Bonds uh, were a big hit because they had offered 9.3%, they being the Federal Reserve. Uh, I-bonds are actually a 30-year bond. But what they do is they adjust the interest rate of the bond. It comes out as a zero. And then it's based on inflation, how much interest you're going to get. And usually it's just a six-month time frame. So last year, it was north of 9%. So that got a lot of people interested uh, in buying those I bonds. But they probably really have witnessed now that they're going down because inflation is, you know, supposedly going down with oil prices and uh, the Fed raising interest rates and the supply chain getting a little bit uh, better out there, interest rates or inflation's coming down. So is it a good idea? I think so for long term, you know, and uh, and forget about it. But there is some liquidity on those, too, that people can uh, utilize in getting out of them. So I'm a fan uh, just for a small percentage of the portfolio. Bruce? Yeah, Peg is the resident expert on bonds, so I seldom can add anything to her answer. But I, so I agree with you, Peg. I, I like the I bonds, but it's funny that someone would text. Well, not funny, but not surprising, because I've gotten that question a little bit in recent weeks. People that were all jazzed up about the I bonds now they're calling me, going, "My rate's a lot lower. Was this a good idea?" And you know that's the nature of the I bond. The rate will go up when inflation goes up, but the rate will go down when inflation goes down. But I still like them for most people as a small part of the portfolio. Absolutely. Um, and Danny, I know we don't have time for any more today. Boy, that hour went fast. Holy cow! Yes, yes it, it did indeed. All right, we'll uh, talk to you next week. And uh, I want to remind our listeners, if you do have a financial question, maybe midweek you think is something for Peg and Bruce, you can always call this number 24-7, and that's 888-6ADVICE. Again, 888-6ADVICE, any time of the day or night for your financial question. Keep in mind, too, you can also email those questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. Again, email questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But do call 888-6ADVICE and do join us again next week with another edition of Your Money.